Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the commentary series on the Confessions of St. Augustine. I'm Dr. Paul Thigpen, an author and retired professor of historical theology. This is the fifth episode of our series, and we're using the Tan edition of the Confessions. Today we explore Book 3, chapters 1 through 12, St. Augustine's thoughts and recollections concerning his later youth. Let's begin with words from his prayer. Virtue of my soul, enter it and make it a fit dwelling for you, that you may have it and hold it without spot or wrinkle. Amen. Such a petition for self-knowledge was characteristic of Augustine, and in these pages we discover just how deeply he did in fact come to know himself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God answered that prayer. At this point in the events, he recalls, the young man was in his mid-teens, and it was obvious by that time that he was quite gifted. His father, Patricius, wanted him to develop those gifts so he could find success by worldly standards, in a public career, and perhaps even the degree of celebrity. Patricius was a man of modest means, but he made the necessary financial sacrifices for his son to go off to begin studies. At one point the funds ran out and Augustine had to come back home for a year. But he found other financial support and he went off again, this time to the great city of Carthage in North Africa. There he received an education more worthy of his capabilities. He trained as a rhetorician, learning the art of elegant and persuasive speech, so he could teach even younger men the art. His future prospects were full of promise, but his circumstances at the time, like those of many college students today, were fraught with moral dangers, for Carthage was notorious for vice. Augustine recalls, To Carthage I came, and a frying pan of disgraceful loves sizzled round about me. My soul broke out into open sores, miserably longing to scratch itself against things of the senses. Still, I found it sweet to love and to be loved, especially when I could enjoy the body of the one I loved. And so I polluted the springs of friendship with the filthy things I craved. I clouded its bright gleam with the hell of lust. Has any man ever been so eloquently honest and clear-sighted about the sins of his youth and their fearful consequences? I was foul and base, he goes on, but in my overflowing emptiness, I passed myself about as quite the sophisticated and elegant fellow. I hurled myself into love, longing to be taken captive. The Lord didn't stop him, but heaven made sure that the illicit pleasures he was enjoying were accompanied by telling signs of their disordered nature. Merciful God, Augustine recalls, my God, how good were you 
to sprinkle so much gall on that sweetness of mine. For I was loved in return, and I pressed on to the bonds of enjoyment, glad to be tied up in wearisome tangles, to be whipped by the iron lashes of jealousy and suspicion and fear and anger and wrangling. Even so, the young man continued to sizzle in the frying pan of his lust. Next, the older and wiser Augustine laments his youthful attachment to the theater, almost an addiction, it seems. Stage shows swept me away, he confesses, filled as they were with images of my miseries and fuel for my fire. What does he mean by images of my miseries? What miseries? We find here hints of a deep melancholy in the soul of this saint, a note that appears throughout his work. In part, they are simply one expression of his passionate temperament, which so easily and swiftly runs from desolation to exaltation and back again. At the same time, Augustine tells us again and again that misery is the inevitable condition of the heart that is far from God, who is himself the fount of joy. So it's no wonder that in this season of his young life, fleeing away from God like a new Jonah, he too might find himself at times cast into the stormy depths of wretchedness and swallowed up by sorrow. Nevertheless, throughout his later life, even when he rejoices in God's consoling presence, we hear sighs of heartache as when he declares in a homily, this is our life as Christians, to be filled with longing. He echoes the psalmist who sang, a thirst is my soul for God, the living God, when shall I go and behold the face of God? Whatever the causes for his sadness, Augustine admits that he was often brought to tears in the theater. Poor fellow, he says, I loved in those days to be moved with sorrow, and I went seeking what would make me feel sorry, when in those troubles of mere pretenders, leaping about on the stage, the actor pleased me more and led me along with all the more powerful lure who wrung the most tears out of my eyes. That reaction puzzles him. Why is it that a man in the theater is willing to be saddened by tragic and tearful things, which in his own person he would never want to suffer? What a pathetic madness this is. Perhaps Augustine speculates, to weep at tragedies enacted in the theater is a kind of compassion but what kind of genuine compassion can you give to situations that are only pretended on stage? Remember that Augustine says the productions were filled with images of my miseries and fuel for my fire. We note the miseries, but what does he mean by fuel for my fire? The saint now tells us about the fire. He felt great shame over the often lewd, or at least immoral, character of the stories he acted out. The saint now tells us about the fire. He felt great shame over the often lewd, or at least immoral, character of the stories acted out in the theater. In the first book, he has noted how some of those stories he encountered on stage as a younger adult involved the lust, adulteries, and perversions of the pagan gods. There were other similar stories as well from the pagan poets. Beware my soul of uncleanness, Augustine cries out. In those days I rejoiced with the lovers on stage, when by disgraceful means they got to enjoy one another, although the wicked deeds were but pretended images to delight the theatrical eye. 
I shudder to think what the saint would say about the stories and images that fill our world of entertainment today. Judging from what he writes here, he would most likely be deeply grieved and ashamed, but not at all surprised, given his understanding of the dark paths taken by the disordered soul. Did God abandon him during this time? Not at all. Still did your mercy, ever faithful, hover above me from afar, he confesses to the Lord. But Augustine went on from sin to sin, some of them apparently so wicked that he dares not specify them now, lest he scandalize his readers. In the saint's eyes, whatever he did was demonically inspired sacrilege. And how many iniquities did I waste myself away, he says, and what an unholy curiosity did I pursue, so that once I had deserted you, it might drag me down to the bottom of infidelity, to the service of demons with all their sleight of hand. To them I burnt my sacrifice, my evil deeds, and in all these things you laid on me with your flail. For I made bold one day within the walls of your church during the celebration of your solemn rites to desire and to accomplish a business to procure the fruit of death. We won't speculate here about what he did, lest we ourselves be guilty of unholy curiosity. Suffice it to say that the consequences were severe. You scourged me with heavy punishments, but they were nothing compared with what my guilt merited. Oh my God, my tremendous mercy, my refuge against those terrible harms into which I had wandered, cocksure, stiff-necked, falling farther from you, loving my ways and not yours, loving the freedom of a man in flight. Meanwhile, Augustine's formal education, as he has come to see now, was focused on honing verbal and intellectual skills to prepare men for vain and even dishonest work in politics and the legal arena. Those studies of mine too, he says, which were called honorable, but led to the law courts and their quarrels, and I was supposed to excel in them. The bigger the fraud, the louder the praise. I studied books on eloquence, wherein I longed to stand tall for a damnable end, full of wind, to gain the joys of human vanity. Despite the temptation, we'll forego any jokes at this point about lawyers or politicians. Augustine would be the first to say that every profession and every state of life has its pitfalls. Then one day, by God's providence, something happened to begin a turn in the young man's path. He came across a book in his studies that opened a critical door in his mind. This event is especially meaningful to me personally because I too came across in my graduate theology studies so many years ago, a book that opened a critical door into understanding the Catholic faith and contributed ultimately to my conversion. It was in fact this book we are reading together now, The Confessions. In his early years of training in grammar and rhetoric, Augustine would have encountered the works of Marcus Tullius Cicero, the celebrated first century BC Roman orator, statesman, and philosopher. But now at Carthage, he reads for the first time a particular work of this writer. It's called the Hortensius, and as Augustine recalls, it urges the reader to pursue philosophy, which means literally in Greek, the love of wisdom. I was delighted by the exhortation, he says, just because it did not urge upon me this or that sect, but rather wisdom itself. 
whatever it might be, that I should thirst for it and seek it and follow it and hold fast to it, or rather be caught in its embrace. The saint goes on, it changed my affection. It turned my prayers toward you, Lord, and it gave me other aims and other desires. Suddenly, every vain hope seemed petty to me, and I hungered with an incredible fervor for wisdom that cannot die. And I began to arise that I might return to you. How did I burn, my God? How did I burn to fly from earthly things toward you, though I did not know what you were doing within me? It's remarkable that, by God's grace, a work of pagan philosophy should turn this young man's heart toward a quest for things above, a quest that would one day take him home to his heavenly father. Augustine found some of Cicero's moral reasoning flawed, but the door leading upward had been opened. So I was roused up by his teaching, says the saint, and it lighted a fire in me, and I burned, and yet one thing damped the heat of that fire. The name of Christ was not in that book. For by your mercy, Lord, this name of Christ, my Savior, and your Son, had my tender heart drunk devoutly even with my mother's milk, and it still held that name deep down inside. Whatever was missing this name, no matter how learned and polished, no matter how well it spoke the truth, could not utterly sweep me away. The seeds of Christian faith had been sown in his early days. Whether the young man was actually aware at the time of what exactly was missing, or he simply felt it as a longing inside, Augustine knows now that a philosophy without Christ is incomplete. The lover of wisdom, whether or not he realizes it, is seeking wisdom himself, and nothing else, no one else, will finally satisfy. The saint's new quest finally led him to the Christian scriptures, but he immediately compared them unfavorably to Cicero's eloquence. My swollen pride shunned their plain style, he recalls, and my sharp wit could not penetrate their depths within, for they really were fashioned to grow up along with your little ones. But I disdained to be a child, and engorged with arrogance, I thought of myself as quite a big man. Augustine's disappointment with the scriptures led him to search out those who might speak of Christ, but be able to open to him a deeper, hidden meaning beneath the simple words on the surface. The religious sect he soon encountered, which seemed to do just that, was called the Manichees. We'll delve deeply in the next episode into what they taught and practiced. In Book 9, we'll hear much more about Augustine's mother, St. Monica, who is by now a widow. But for now, Book 3 ends with two anecdotes that provide us a glimpse of her. Augustine reports, For a full nine years, I wallowed in the mud of that pit and in the darkness of falsehood, that is, of the Manichees. Yet all this, while that chaste and reverent and sober widow, such a woman as you love, now livelier in hope, but no slower to sigh and weep, never let up in all her hours of prayer to cry out to you for my sake. God gave her two signs of his intention to answer her prayers. First, Monica had a dream that, despite his spiritual wanderings, one day Augustine would stand again with her in her true faith. The son was unconvinced by the dream, but he was impressed by her solid confidence that it would come true. Second, in her distress over her errant son, 
she went to St. Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, Italy, who was highly respected by Augustine because of his great learning and rhetorical skills. She begged the bishop to talk to the young man and correct his thinking. But wisely, the good bishop told her that Augustine at that point was unteachable and arrogant, so he wasn't ready for such a conversation. But he was bright, and if he kept reading, he would eventually come to see his error. Still, she begged the bishop to intervene, weeping earnestly. Finally, growing a bit annoyed, he told her, Go away, and as sure as you live, know that it is impossible that the son of these tears should perish. Well, Monica took those words as a divinely inspired promise, and indeed they were. What an example of perseverance she provides for those who pray for a wandering loved one. St. Monica, pray for us. Let's conclude by continuing to consider our own lives in light of Augustine's and praying with him now in his own words. Behold, my God, I lay before you the living remembrance of my soul. Amen, and God bless. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit tancommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the confessions and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven. Thank you.